Well, it's good to be here at Sycamore Grove again. It's been a while, but it's good to see all of you. My wife commented that uh, there's a lot of new faces and a lot of faces getting older. But uh, that's, that's, that's okay. Now, I was taught how to use this thing, and I have to run it backwards. Life Change Camp. We have been the... Had the privilege of serving there. We are the founders and the directors of Life Change Camp. We have seen thousands and thousands of lives come through Life Change, children, youth, adults, and the Lord has just done some amazing work there. And I could go on and on giving example after example of how the Lord has worked at Life Change Camp outside of Clinton, Missouri. For those of you who don't know, we're outside of Clinton, uh, Bible Camp and Retreat Center that serves churches all across the Midwest and uh, works with uh, volunteers that come in from all over the place. Many of you have volunteered at Life Change at one time or another in the past, and for that I'm very, very grateful. This summer we're running camp, again, summer camp, and our theme for this summer is Jesus number one. Everybody seems to wear the baseball and the football jerseys with Mahomes numbers on it or Travis Kelsey or some other big... Why not Jesus number one? We're going to be using... uh, Uh, Colossians as our main text jump off points talking about the preeminence of Jesus and the provision of Jesus big words perhaps but words that we have to focus on if there's ever a time when people's eyes ought to be focused on Jesus it's now we uh, are running camp this summer as I said family camp you see the dates which is full by the way sorry uh, junior high children's camp and junior high camp. We still have spaces available. So if any of you who are wanting to go to camp and decide for one reason that a lakeside is not possible for you, keep life change in mind. We would love to have you come to life change camp. We do need your involvement with us. We continue to look for campers from third grade through eighth grade to register and come and be with us for a full week of camp, one of the most dynamic weeks you'll experience in all of your life. We also need uh, counselors, head counselors, assistant counselors, life support personnel. If you are in high school or college and you want to commit to an exciting week or weeks of service where you're investing your life into the lives of other children and other youth, Life Change Camp as a counselor and a server there is a tremendous week of service. And then we can always use adults helping in the kitchen, helping in the yard and other places. So if you want to volunteer to help at Life Change, we'd love to have you come. Talk to me after the service. I have registration forms. I have forms you can fill out right now today. And I do want to just thank you all so much for the support the prayers, the friendship that you have shared with us for nearly 19 years. It's hard to believe that it's been that long since life change was at its inception. But you have been a part of it. And all the glory that goes to God from life change runs right through Sycamore Grove. Because you've been a part of it. And I thank you so much. But let's just pray now before we move on into the word. Thanking the Lord for what he's going to share with us here this morning. Lord, I want to give you thanks that we can depend on you, that we can trust you, that we can be your servants. 
Oh, Lord, you've challenged us in your word to demonstrate our servanthood to you through the way we live and the way we love and the way we serve and the way we suffer. Oh, Lord, I pray that our lives would truly demonstrate that we belong to Jesus and we are servants of the living God. Now, Lord, guide us through your word today as we look at it. I pray that you would speak into our hearts, give insight, give clarity and give confidence and boldness through the word of your Holy Scripture. And we'll give you thanks for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of my granddaughters. Now, why she's eating her sock, I have no idea. But there's something going to be taking place on the 3rd of June this year that's kind of bittersweet for us. And that is this little granddaughter is getting married. Now, I know most of you are sitting there thinking, you don't look old enough to have a granddaughter getting married. And to that, I don't know whether to say thank you or liar. But Elizabeth is getting married. I bring her up today to remember when she was a little girl, maybe three, four, five in that time frame. If she knew Grandma and Grandpa were coming to visit, she was all excited. She was just beside herself. And we would finally drive up, and we would see this little face look at through the curtains in the living room, and then it would go closed. And she had gotten so excited that when she saw us coming, she would run and hide. And we had to come into the house and find her. She was so excited when Grandma and Grandpa were coming. Now, when it comes to talking with people about the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Christ, I don't always get that kind of excitement. There are some people who don't even want to talk about it because it's too confusing. It's uh, too controversial. It, uh, it's going to happen the way God wants it to happen anyway. So they don't even want to really think about it or talk about it. And then we have some people we've run into who uh, know a little bit about the second coming. But they don't want to talk much about it because they're not really convinced that it's actually going to happen. And then we have people who many of us know who don't know much about the second coming because they are simply not in the family yet. And little Elizabeth would see lots of people come toward their front door, but it was only grandma and grandpa who elicited this kind of excitement. The rest weren't family. We were. And it could be that some people today don't want to talk about the second coming of Christ because they're simply not in the family yet. But I would also suggest this morning that there are some, some Christians who I would say are not really ready for his second coming. We want to talk this morning about being ready for his coming. Being ready for his coming. And we're going to be in the book of Second Peter, chapter 3. The very first 
thought that I want to share with you in the way of three guidelines as to how to be ready in, my, in your mind and in your heart for the second coming of Christ is to, one, recognize the signs of the times. And we're going to read several passages here. Follow along as I read verses 3 through 7. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. When we read this passage, at least I tended to be this way. When I read this passage, my, my focus generally goes to that big question. Where is the promise of his coming? A question many people have asked over the years. And that is a big question. Now, maybe today I'm talking to a group of people who have spent a lot of time studying prophecy. Reading Daniel, reading Revelation, and just really informing yourself regarding biblical prophecy. And if that's the case, much of what I'm going to share today is going to be old stuff to you. But I believe there's many of us who don't spend enough time learning what the second coming is really all about. But the question, where is the promise of his coming? Seems like a big question. But there's really even a bigger issue here. And that bigger issue is what precedes the words, where is the promise of his coming? It talks about mockers coming with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Following after their own lusts. There's a lot of people today, people in high places, Following after their own lusts, making their own selfish human desires their goal. There's a lust for power, lust for control, a lust for domination, a lust for convenience, a lust for freedom apart from the rule of law and certainly apart from the laws of God. That's what the human spirit cries for. The human spirit, in and of itself, wants to run a path that is contrary to the word of God. Anyone who lives by the lusts of their own flesh, by their own lusts, will first of all, will always doubt and distort what the word of God says. They will doubt and distort what the word of God says. Where is the promise of his coming? They begin to question God. Everything has been all the same from the beginning. Where is his promise? Where is his coming? It's a trick of Satan that he is so clever at. It's a trick to question what God has said and to cause people to question what God has said. Satan used the same trick back in the Garden of Eden. When he came to Eve that day from the tree and said, did God really say you shouldn't eat from this tree? 
He didn't dare come and say, God didn't say that. Nope, he asked the question. And he got Eve to begin questioning God. Anyone who's following after their own lust, their own fleshly desire, is going to have to distort the Word of God because my human flesh and the Word of God do not run together. They run contrary. And if I'm going to walk according to my lust, I'm going to question and doubt the Word of God. But also, anyone who's living after their own lust is going to have to eliminate God from the equation. They're going to have to eliminate God somehow. Verse, look at verse uh, 5. For when they maintain this, when they maintain what? When they maintain the attitude of letting my lust, my human fleshly desires be my goal engage. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice. In other words, they are not just accidentally missing the point. But it's an intentional, willful ignorance of the fact that, listen, by the word of God, the world was created. By the word of God, the heavens came into existence. By the word of God, the world was destroyed by a flood way back then in the, in the beginning of Genesis. And by the word of God, the present earth is being preserved and saved for the day when Christ returns. It's by the word of God. And now to suddenly question it or try to eliminate God from the equation is to run exactly contrary to the way God is calling us to live. Anyone who wants to live according to their own lusts will find themselves living in a manner where life is devaluated. Our abortion problem. Where marriage is distorted. Where the gender issues come up into question. When these things are such basic biblical truth that to question them proves the fact that I'm walking down the path of my own lust instead of following the principles of the Lord. So the first guideline to be ready for the second coming of Jesus is to recognize the signs of the times. And this is only one. The mockers coming with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And we see it all over the place. In the news. On the billboards. In the headlines. And in the actions of many in our nation. The second Guidelines being ready for the second coming of Jesus is to recognize not only the signs of the times, but recognize that God has his own time. I want to read the next few verses, starting with verse eight. Where Peter begins and writes, do not let this one fact escape your notice. And that's that's an important statement. Remember, he had said a few earlier, a few verses earlier that these mockers, they Maintain this, and it escapes their notice. Now here he said, do not let this one fact escape your notice. Don't you be intentionally and willfully ignorant of the facts of what God is saying. Choose to align yourself with God's word. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
Now, I'm not sure in that particular verse, and there's some controversy over it, whether those words, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, if that's simply a, a comparison of how God views time as compared to how we use time, or if it's really meant to be a, um, a uh, formula of time that is used to determine and ascertain biblical chrono- chronology. But either way, it says, God, with the Lord, there's one day is in a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. You see, we serve a God who is a God of time and eternity. He is a God of eternity as far as his existence and being is concerned, but he's a God of time in that his plans and purposes for us and our life are run through the grid of time that you and I understand. We, we didn't read verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works shall be burned up. Realize that God has his own time and his time is specific. With God, his timing is never random. It's never simply coincidence. God's timing is specific. If we read in Galatians 4.4 regarding the birth of Christ, we read there the words, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Regarding the crucifixion of Jesus, when he died on the cross, we have the same kind of statement in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ, we find the same kind of statement in the scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. So his timing is very specific. The birth was at the right time. The crucifixion was at the right time. His return would be at the right time. And there was a verse that I was uh, discovered back in the Old Testament that I had never noticed before. In fact, turn with me back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, a verse I've never noticed before. As it relates to the precise timing of God. The birth of Jesus was at the right time. The death of Jesus at the right time. His second coming at the right time. But look at Exodus 12 verse 40. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Verse 41. And it came about at the end of 430 years to the very day that the Lord of hosts went up from, that the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Even the removal of Israel from the land of Egypt happened to the very day. That's how specific our God is. He's not random. He's not coincidental. He's specific in his timing. Second thought 
about the timing of God is that his promise is sure. I like verse nine. The Lord, you had it appear on the screen earlier in the service. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. No, Jesus has made a promise to us. The Lord has made a promise to us and he will carry out that promise. And the only reason it seems like it doesn't happen in the time frame that I think it should fit is because my brain can't wrap itself around God's thoughts and because God is patient and God gives everyone opportunity to come to know him and to commit their life and come to repentance and let the Lord's call, which is coming into the heart and life of any one of you here today who may not be a child of God. God's call is trying to penetrate into your heart. He's calling you. Today is the day for you to respond and make him Lord of your life. His promise is not to be mistaken. His promise is not, will not be left unfulfilled. His promises are always true. The Bible says God cannot lie. And Jesus himself is referred to himself as said, I am the way, the truth and the life. There is no falsehood in our God and our Savior. What Jesus promised, he will do. And then the third statement and thought regarding the timing of God is that Jesus is coming Soon. He is coming soon. Now, I want to share with you in a few moments a key that I believe is significant in becoming to a better understanding of the possibilities of the return of Jesus. Some of you have done a lot of study of prophecy. Some of you have done a lot of study of eschatology, which is the big word that is simply the theological study of end times events. And in the field of eschatology, there's a great deal of variation, varieties, versions. People look at it one way. They look at it the other way. They have this slant. They have that slant. Eschatology is a study that one really has to allow the Spirit of God to enlighten our hearts and minds. And I would like to say that today, I've got it all figured out. (laughs) I don't. But here's where we need to come when it comes to prophecy and eschatology. We need to come to a place where we are settled in our heart as to the, the general direction and process of it. Not dogmatic, but settled in our heart. And if I'm settled in my heart about a direction and a process, I'm also open to the fact that the Spirit of God, through someone else, or through a study of the Scripture, that the Spirit of God may show me something different. But we need to have a position from which we operate, and a point of confidence within our heart regarding the second coming of Jesus. Now, how soon is this coming? Well, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet. So I'm going to be real open and uh, transparent and vulnerable at this point 
I want to share with you where I stand on some of these issues. I am a creational, pre-trib, pre-millennial Israelist. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to try to tell you very briefly what that means. And again, this is where I stand. Does that mean you have to jump into my camp? No. This means I simply want to challenge you. And I encourage you to find a place in your, in your theological core as to how you stand and where you stand with regard to the second coming of Jesus Christ. First of all, I am a creation. I am creational. What that means is I believe in a literal five-day creation that took place as recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created, and he did it in six days. That's where I stand. And I believe in a young earth philosophy. That is, the earth is only 6,000 or some years old. It's not the billions and billions of years old that evolutionists would say. It's a young, young uh, world that God created some 6,000 years ago, and he's going to bring it to an end in his good timing. Second part of that statement is I am pre-tribulational. That is, the Bible talks about the end of time when God is going to, when the Lord Jesus is going to come back and set up a kingdom on this earth. Prior to that kingdom being set up, there's going to be a seven-year period of time called the tribulation. Seven years of hard, hard times on this earth. Right before that starts, there's an event to take place called the rapture. The rapture at which time the church, all believers in this world, are taken away to be with the Lord in the air. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I also believe in a pre-millennial, in that when the tribulation is over, Jesus will come back to this earth. He'll set his feet on the Mount of Olives, right outside of the city of Jerusalem. And he will then establish a kingdom for a thousand years, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of his reigning for a thousand years before he ultimately wraps up things on the earth and heaven and establishes the new heaven and the new earth. But I'm also an Israelist. By that I mean the Jews are God's chosen people. Israel, as a nation of people and as a geographical landmass, is God's own special possession. And Jerusalem in particular, is the apple of God's eye. We are wise today, as individuals and as a nation, to support what's happening, to support the nation of Israel. Help them in any way we can, because God said, anyone who curses Israel, I will curse. Anyone who blesses Israel, I will bless. And I believe that that is where, what we, how we ought to be functioning. Watch world events. Watch Ukraine. Watch Russia. Watch Iran. Watch Syria. These other nations as they respond and interact with and toward Israel. 
There is a big, big things that are coming down the pike that I believe will happen very, very soon as it relates to a war that's going to impact the nation of Israel. Now, having said all of that, I want to take you to a passage in Matthew 24. So if you turn to Matthew 24, beginning with verse 32. Now, Matthew 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They've come to him at the beginning of the chapter and said, Hey, Lord, tell us about uh, the, the times of your coming and the, the things that are going to take place at the end. And Jesus began there in verse, verse uh, 3, telling them about some of the stuff that's going to happen toward the end of time. And Jesus talks about things like uh, wars and rumors of wars, talks about mockers and deceivers coming. He talks about uh, lawlessness increasing and all how we see the all of these things happening. He talks about the gospel being preached to all the world. He talks about things like the tribulation and the great tribulation and events that will take place within those days. But then we get to verse 32. But Jesus gives us a statement in those next few verses that I believe are key to recognizing the possibility of the nearness of the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 32, after saying all these things, it's like there's a, there's a sh- little bit of a, of a shift in the Lord's comments and he moves to a different topic. He says, now... Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. Now, Israel is referred to as a fig tree many, many, many times throughout the scripture. So this becomes, I believe, a picture of Israel. The nation of Israel. Learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. This is a sign to watch for and know that something big is going to happen. Even so, you too, when you see these things, what things? These things that are happening as this fig tree is blossoming. As you see these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, consider these thoughts with me. Israel is the fig tree. Israel became a nation again after being dispersed throughout all the world for 2,000 years. Were disbanded as a nation, separated, scattered, and people over the, over the years have attempted time after time after time to destroy the nation of Israel, to destroy the Jew, wipe them off the face of the earth. But yet what happened in 1948-1949? Israel became a nation again. Restored once again to its nationhood. With its original language. That has never happened in all of human history. And will never happen again. 
Israel became a nation in 48, 49. The Bible here talks about when these things happen. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I believe that the generation spoken of here, an 80-year time frame, which is the biblical uh, formula for a generation, I believe that the generation spoken of here is the generation who will be alive and on the earth at the time when the fig tree buds. And I believe that budding of the fig tree was when Israel became a nation again in 48, 49. Which means what? That if a biblical generation is 80 years, 80 years from 48, 49 is what? 2028, 2029. That could be the time frame in which Jesus returns to set up his millennial kingdom. But now, remember the rapture? Remember the rapture, which takes place seven years earlier, which puts us in 2021 or 2022? Could it be that this is the year that the rapture of the church occurs? Could it be? Now, Jesus makes it very clear in this passage of that day and hour. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father alone. So we're not here today to try to set dates or try to set times. I'm simply here to take the word of God where Jesus said, recognize the signs of the times, study the signs of the times, know the signs of the times. And no, I can't know the time, the day or the hour. But as we watch the signs of the times. We begin to get some indicators that our opportunities, our time on this earth and the time when we will be going to be with him in heaven, traveling through the sky could happen. And this could happen this year. Could it be today? Could Could it be next week? Could it be the 15th of June? Could be. But know that God's timing is specific, that God's promises are sure, and his coming is soon. Every moment we live, to say a redundant statement, we get closer to that moment. Every moment we live, we get closer to that return. And I'm just asking you this morning, how would your life change if you knew that you had one more week to live on this earth. Whether it be that at the end of that week you died physically and went to be with the the Lord, or at the end of that week the rapture occurs and every believer and every church member who is loving Jesus and walking with Him is taken out of the way up to heaven to be with the Lord for all of eternity. If you knew you had one more week to function, what would change? What would change in your life? What would change in your daily routine? What would change in the conversations you have and the relationships that you're trying to establish? What would change in the attitudes of your heart and the time spent uh, with the television or with the computer or on your cell phone? What would change? And let me suggest to you that if 
there are changes that are popping up in your mind right now. And if I had only one week, I would change this, I would change that. I'm going to suggest to you, change anyway. Change anyway. Because we don't know the time frame. Which brings us to our last point this morning from Second Peter chapter 3. We are to recognize the signs of the times, recognize that God has his own time, and also recognize your responsibility for your time. I like the way verse 11, I think I have it up there, verse 11 begins, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, here's the question, what sort of people ought you to be? Since we know all this is going to happen, what sort of people are we to be? In holy conduct, godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. That's called global warming. But according to his promise... We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Spotless, blameless. What is our responsibility in the face of his coming? He lists several of them here. One, holy conduct. What part of your conduct needs to be adjusted to fit the holy category? What part of your conduct needs to be adjusted to fit the godly quality? What are you to be doing as far as looking for the return of Jesus? What does that mean? At the beginning of this message, I said there's some people I speak to who don't even want to think about it, don't even want to know anything about it because it's too confusing, too controversial, too something or other, too scary. But yet the Bible says we should be looking for that second coming. We should be like little Elizabeth peeking through the curtains because Grandma and Grandpa were coming, looking for it with excitement, with anticipation. Making adjustments, making changes, making corrections in the way we travel, the way we live, the way we move. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. I challenge you to read the book of Daniel, if it's been a while. Read Matthew 24, if it's been a while. Read Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39. And any one of these passages, before you read, use the approach that I like to use. I say, Lord, this is your word. I can't figure it out. But as I read, Lord, give me insight. Teach me by your spirit. Help me to glean today what I need to glean. And to not be sidetracked by my own lusts and desires, but rather to walk down the road that Jesus has established for me. Pray that prayer every time you go to the scripture. 
And especially if you're going to be reading passages that relate to the second coming, because they, they are so loaded with truth and so imminent to our moment and time in history. And if there's ever been a time when that needs to be understood and followed, it is now. Looking for the coming of the day of the Lord and hastening the coming of the Lord. That was an interesting statement to me. We can't really hasten the the coming of the Lord. That is, make it happen sooner or make it happen later. Why? Because God's time is specific. He doesn't wait around for Bill Anderson to get his act together. Hastening the time of the coming of the Lord can also be translated desiring earnestly the coming of the Lord. The Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy that the uh, very promise... The very thought of Jesus coming back are to, ought to motivate us to preach the word, to share our faith, to talk to others about Jesus. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge and the, of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, chapter, verse 8, it's, we read this, uh, that the Lord is coming back. Paul writes and said, I fought the good fight. Keep fighting, friends. I've finished the course, work toward finishing, and, and I, will, I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Friends, let's be loving the appearing of Jesus Christ. And one final verse I'll share with you as we wrap up these thoughts on being ready for the coming is this. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. We read, blessed, blessed. To be blessed means to be spiritually prosperous. To be blessed means to be uh, ad- not admired, but having others wish they could have what you had. And spiritually prosperous. Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of this prophecy. And heeds the things which are written in it. For the time is near. I want you to be a blessed people. To be a blessed church. So read. And hear. And heed the words of Revelation and the rest of the book as well. And then Revelation ends with a powerful word of blessing to every one of us. It says this, Now he who testifies these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is so loaded with truth and challenge. Help us, Lord, to take those things that we understand and, and 
put them to use in our life. And Lord, those things we don't understand, help us not to avoid them, but to seek your teaching and your guidance to how to live it out in a way that honors you. Lord, we do look forward to your coming. We believe it's going to be soon, but Lord, until, until it happens, may we be faithful. May we be dutiful. And when you come, may you find us so doing the very things that you've laid out for us to do. So, Lord, I thank you now for this, your word. Thank you for this church. I thank you for the lives here of the people who love you and are awaiting your return. Now, if there's anybody here this morning who's never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never given your life to Jesus Know that he is coming back. And when he comes back, you're either going to be a part of his family or you're going to be left behind. Don't be left behind. Today, make it a point of decision in your heart because Jesus is calling you. Right now he's calling you. You sense in your own heart, ah, I've got to do something about this. I've got to do something about this. I've got to do something about this. Today's your day. Do something about this. I'd love to pray with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.